Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, presented by Kroll & Mooring, bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. We are continuing our series of podcasts discussing FCA risks related to the COVID-19 pandemic. On today's episode, Mana and I are going to discuss the FCA risk posed by the Small Business Paycheck Protection Program that was established by the CARES Act, which was further supplemented by the Paycheck Protection and Healthcare Enhancement Act, and then later the Paycheck Protection Flexibility Act of 2020. The funds disseminated to small businesses through the Paycheck Protection Program, also known as the PPP, are tied to numerous borrower certifications and will likely present fertile ground for Relators Council and DOJ alike to pursue FCA recoveries. Juana, can you start us off with some background of the PPP? Of course. Thanks, Jacinta. So the CARES Act temporarily added the PPP to the Small Business Administration's 7A loan program. And it provides for forgiveness of up to the full principal amount of qualifying loans guaranteed under the PPP to provide economic relief to small businesses adversely impacted by COVID-19. Now, originally, Congress had appropriated $349 billion for forgivable loans to small business concerns and businesses and nonprofit organizations with under 500 employees under the PPP. Those funds initially quickly ran out, and Congress then enacted additional law, which added $310 billion more to PPP funds for a total of $659 billion. So what does the program do? Essentially, it allows eligible applicants to receive up to $10 million based on a maximum amount that is two and a half times their average total monthly payroll costs. And the funds can be used as working capital to pay payroll costs, rent, utilities, and other specified costs. Now, the loan is for the payroll of U.S. employees only, and it's capped at $100,000 in compensation per employee. But the definition of payroll costs is relatively broad, and it includes salaries, wages, payments required for group health care and retirement benefits, amongst other things. As of the date of this podcast, the deadline for PPP loan applications was August 8th. However, Congress is currently in talks to renew the PPP. So now the PPP loans are subject to forgiveness for certain covered expenses that are incurred during the eight-week or 24-week period following the date of the PPP loan disbursement. Originally, the act had allowed for an eight-week period to spend the loan funds, and then Congress extended it up to 24 weeks for borrowers. An additional benefit is that the amount of principal that is forgiven is not included in gross income for your tax purposes, but PPP loan forgiveness amount is subject to reduction if the company reduces its workforce or salary during the specified time period, although there are some safe harbors exceptions that do apply. And then finally, Any balance of a PPP loan, which is not forgiven, must be repaid at a 1% interest rate. Thanks, Mana, for the program overview. So let's dig into the certifications and the risks of this program. For the purposes of today's discussion, because Congress is currently in talks, we're going to discuss the requirements for both eligibility and forgiveness with respect to the PPP. We're going to assume that Congress will end up passing another round of PPP loans based on the current legislation pending. And frankly, even if it's not renewed, these eligibility requirements still are guideposts for determining what documentation you have, any potential policies or procedures that you want to devise to support future audits and potential investigations or enforcement actions if it comes to that. 
The TPP loan application requires applicants to certify to numerous statements, which, if not stated truthfully, can form the basis of False Claims Act liability. TPP risk and liability generally falls on applicants as opposed to the lenders, so a company or recipient applicant should not rely solely on lender advice regarding eligibility because lenders are permitted to rely on borrowers' certifications for eligibility and forgiveness, and even receipt of loan is not confirmation of eligibility. For instance, in its application for the PPP, a borrower must attest to its size eligibility. Small businesses and eligible nonprofit organizations, veterans organizations, and tribal businesses described in the Small Business Act, as well as individuals who are self-employed or are independent contractors, are eligible if they meet program size standards. A borrower must certify that it employs no more than the greater of 500 employees or if applicable, meets the size standards established by the SBA pursuant to the NICS code for the applicant's industry. Size eligibility can also be established through the alternative size standard measured by tangible net worth and average net income. These size standards are further governed by the SBA's complex regulations on entity affiliation, under which a business affiliated with another entity must include the other entity's headcount in determining its size. As a result, Applicants must understand how the Small Business Administration measures size and applies the concept of affiliation before certifying to their eligibility. Whether a business is small is a complex and dynamic determination given all of these affiliation and other size standard rules that might apply. Absolutely. Thanks, Jacinta. The eligibility requirements also include, amongst others, certifying to the company's eligibility to receive a loan under the SBA's rules in effect at the time the application is submitted. And that's been difficult based on the ever-changing rules and guidance issued by the administration. And they also include certifying that loan funds will be used for a permissible purpose. In addition, the PPP application requires applicants to certify in good faith that current economic uncertainty makes the loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant. So this one is a key certification. At first, SBA and Treasury did not provide any type of guidance around how to interpret this vague certification, and companies applying for the PPP loan read it in light of the fact that the CARES Act suspended the ordinary requirement that borrowers must be unable to obtain credit elsewhere, and that the CARES Act stated that applicants do not need to provide personal guarantees for the loans. And then. Later, after a series of bad publicity about publicly traded companies taking these small business loans, the Treasury Department issued guidance that applicants must take into account their current business activity and their ability to access other sources of liquidity sufficient to support their ongoing operations in a manner that is not significantly detrimental to the business. So that was the new guidance on how to read this economic needs certification. SBA and Treasury did provide opportunities to pay back the loan if someone had, quote-unquote, misunderstood the economic needs certification, but the administration never provided further guidance of the meaning of ability to access other sources of liquidity. And then finally, SBA and Treasury later issued guidance creating certain safe harbors, stating that loans under $2 million will be deemed to have been made in good faith with respect to this economic necessity certification. Meanwhile, for loans in excess of $2 million, if the SBA determines that in the course of its review that a borrower 
lacked an adequate basis for the required certification on economic necessity, SBA will seek repayment of the outstanding PPP loan balance, and it'll inform the lender that the borrower is not eligible for loan forgiveness. In those instances, if the borrower repays the loan after receiving that kind of notification from the SBA, SBA has committed to not pursue administrative enforcement or referrals to other agencies based on its determination with regard to the economic necessity certification. However, I want to pause here for a moment and just highlight that even if safe harbors apply and the SBA does not make referrals to other agencies, the borrower can still face investigation from a variety of players because many different players, including Congress, the Department of Justice, Relators, and Relators Council, are all interested in the administration and receipt of these PPP loans. So really the key takeaway here is that it's very important to be careful that the company is making accurate representations on all of these express certifications because failure to do so can potentially lead to an enforcement action or False Claims Act investigation against the company. Yeah, thanks, Lana. That's right. And just to add, this applies not only to certifications regarding eligibility criteria, but also to the forgiveness application itself. And that application contains a myriad of certification requirements relating to the calculation of the forgiveness amount and how the funds were used. As you noted, there are a lot of players focused on the use of these PPP funds, and borrowers are ultimately subject to great scrutiny. For instance, in passing the CARES Act, Congress specifically set aside $25 million in the Act for SBA's Office of Inspector General to investigate the use of PPP funds. And the Treasury Department has repeatedly emphasized that SBA will audit all PPP loans over $2 million and some others as well. We can expect probably a random sampling here um, based on some data analytics, so it can be difficult to predict who will be audited. And the best case here is just to assume that you will be audited to be in the best position to combat that. The CARES Act also created the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, which is comprised of 21 inspectors generals for multiple federal agencies, mostly those who have the largest sum of money from the COVID-19 related legislation. And they are charged with detecting and preventing the misuse of CARES Act funds, including the PPP. This committee of IGs will also make referrals to the DOJ and will really likely be the main government source of referrals to the DOJ, in addition to the Relators Bar. And recently, the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, also known as PRAC, recently issued its first report emphasizing its commitment to pursuing fraud in connection with CARES Act and Paycheck Protection Program funds. In addition to this recent report, the SBA also recently published a list of all the PPP borrowers who received loans in excess of $150,000. So that information is publicly available not only to the government and to DOJ, but also to potential related counsel. Given all these players engaged and focused on ferreting out fraud in the PPP, this begs the question, what can borrowers do now to help mitigate future FCA risk? Couldn't agree more. Great question, Jacinta. Many borrowers may no longer be thinking about their eligibility, but rather their forgiveness criteria and submission of the forgiveness application. But wherever you are in the PPP application process, it's important to document the basis for the certifications you make 
or that you've already made. As to your eligibility to receive PPP funds, borrowers want to maintain documentation for all the statements and certifications on the application, as well as any supporting documents requested by lenders. For instance, this would include the records that reflect your size eligibility, including any applicable affiliation analysis under the SBA regulations. And you also want to document the lost revenues, lack of liquidity, and any other conditions which make the loan request necessary to support ongoing operations at the time of the application. Even if the company submitted its application weeks ago, it's not too late to gather up the supporting documentation, as that information is a lot more accessible now than it will be months or even years from now when SBA is conducting some of these audits. Completely agreed with that, Mon. And one point I just want to make as we're going through some of these best practices, they are in fact that, right? So the gathering of this information and what we're outlining is not necessarily what is required, but it, it will put you in the best position to demonstrate your compliance, and it's much easier to do that now or fairly contemporaneously as opposed to later. On the forgiveness side, it's really important to continually document and track all loan fund expenditures, again, just to be able to demonstrate that they were being used appropriately and that you qualify for forgiveness. It's helpful to keep funds in a separate account and create new general ledger accounts for foregone revenues and expenditures associated with funds received through the PPP. To the extent the company is going to avail itself of the safe harbor that allows the borrower to avoid forgiveness reductions from decreases in the number of full-time equivalent employees, it is important to keep in your files the basis for the applicability of that safe harbor, including documentation of any employees who refused your offer to return to work. Ideally, you should designate one person to be in charge of monitoring these expenditures to ensure compliance and to determine that you have appropriate documentation just to be able to further respond to any ensuing audit. Thanks, Jacinta. And that's all for today's episode on Let's Talk FCA. If listeners have any follow-up questions on these topics, please feel free to reach out to me at 213-443-5563 or Jacinta at 202-624-2573. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash letstalkfca. FCA.